Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are an APY. APY can change at any time. Did you hear the one about Sweden? The whole world was shutting down to deal with the pandemic, and Sweden went the other way. So the biggest difference is no lockdown and no quarantine. And obviously that means, you know, schools have stayed open, bars and restaurants, gyms, hairdressers, what have you. Natalie Rothschild is a freelance reporter based in Stockholm. She's been covering the country's response to the pandemic, but she's also been living it. So the other week, it was a very uh, sunny weekend, and I looked at my window where I see bus stops and I see cafes and restaurants and, and a kind of little shopping centre and that kind of thing. And it was bustling, lots of people everywhere, and you would not know that there was a pandemic on. Um, but then the next day, equally sunny, sunny Sunday, uh, I took a ferry that's usually cram with people who was empty. There were about nine people on that ferry. Uh, I went to a zoo with my mom and my son, and there was hardly anyone there. We walked through the city centre. It was dead. No one was out shopping, even though there were big sales on. Uh, lots of stores that are normally open on a Sunday had closed because lots of stores have limited their opening hours. We walked through the old town, which is usually bustling with tourists on a sunny Sunday. It was empty. Stores are shuttered. Um, and... At the same time, in another part of the cities, it's, you know, bustling with people. So it really depends where you look and where you sort of point the camera, so to speak. And I think it's perhaps better to look at the, at the figures. Uh, the data does show that Swedes are limiting their movement. Obviously not to the same extent as in countries where there are lockdowns where you need a special permit to go out, where you're limited to take, you know, one jog a day or uh, one walk a day or something like that. But they have reduced their mobility. So, yeah, obviously on a, on a sunny day, uh, sort of sun-starved Swedes will uh, rush out of their homes and, and, you know, go for ice creams and picnics and what have you. But, but it's not like life is exactly like it was before the pandemic. How exactly did Sweden respond to this pandemic? I mean, no lockdown, but certainly the country did something. Actually, in the roughly six weeks or so between the first confirmed case and the first confirmed death, so between the end of January and mid-March, roughly, 
not that much happened by way of response. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of work going on um, behind the scenes, so to speak. But in terms of requirements for changing behaviour, new laws and so on, not much happened. So the foreign ministry issued a few travel advisories. The risk level of a community spread was raised. And, and the government classified the virus as dangerous to public health. Some flights were halted and so on. But actually throughout February, when schools across different parts of Sweden closed for one week for winter breaks, lots of Swedes were traveling uh, to and then back from the Alps, especially the Italian Alps. It's a popular winter destination for Swedes. And that's how the virus really took hold uh, to start with in Sweden. Okay, so you know you've got all of this community spread. You know people in Sweden have traveled to Italy and brought it back. What does the Swedish government do once it has a thousand cases and knows, okay, the the concentration of these cases is, is in Stockholm? Well, uh, at an early stage, the public health agency, which is the authority that's kind of front and center of the Swedish strategy and effort to combat the virus, uh, at an early stage, they said that there were three phases to their approach. So the initial phase is that you have a situation where the virus has not entered the country, as far as you know. And that's when the strategy is focused on keeping it out. Then once there is a domestic spread, you move into phase two, which is containment. And then the third stage is a pandemic. And when the WHO confirmed a pandemic on March 11th, you could see the government and the health authorities kind of spring into to action. Before that, there was contact tracing going on also and testing uh, of the initial cases. But when, once the community spread was confirmed, the testing got limited to patients and elderly home residents with symptoms and to some medical staff, and they stopped doing contact tracing. But then uh, from March, um, there were a set of measures uh, put in place. And what were they? So since then, basically, the government made some changes to the social security system to make it easier for people with symptoms to take sick leave. And anyone who was able to work from home was advised to do so. Um, public gatherings were limited. Uh, initially, it was 500 people, then it was lowered to 50. The uh, government has also uh, imposed a ban on visits to elderly homes. And uh, they closed down high schools and universities, which have had to move to online teaching. But preschools and schools remain open. Restaurants are now only able to offer table service or takeaway. And then there are also a set of recommendations and that the public health agency issues. Uh, these recommendations include uh, keeping good hygiene, so washing your hands regularly, keeping a distance to other people, staying home at any sign of a cold. Elderly people should self-isolate, but they should also go out to take fresh air and exercise. You should only travel if necessary. I mean, breaking any of these recommendations, going against them, doesn't carry any legal sanction. Is part of the strategy here maybe to just let the virus get out there and work its way through the lesser vulnerable people in the country, some, something called herd immunity? The idea that Sweden's strategy is premised on herd immunity or that that, that is the goal or, or the basis of Sweden's strategy is something that's um, 
been denied many times by the government and by the public health agency? Well, we don't have a strategy of herd immunity. We know that that is a state that will come eventually, but it's not in our strategy. But what is in our strategy is that we don't want to, to stop all transmission. We want to flatten the curve, and that we have managed with. So the idea that Sweden's conducting some massive experiment in herd immunity is, is a misconception. Yes. I'm glad we could clear that up. Yeah. I'm sure it will still be a theory uh, floating about. And why do you think Sweden chose to go about it this way? No lockdown. Um, I think it's a complicated question, but at least part of the answer lies in uh, Swedish uh, kind of history and form of governance. It's enshrined in the Swedish constitution that public agencies should be free from ministerial rule, meaning they should be politically independent. So a public agency like the public health agency is, I mean, influenced by the government in that the government sets the remit, the budget, it appoints the head of the agency and so on, but it's not uh, allowed to meddle in the day-to-day affairs of the agency. So they sort of leave it to the experts to formulate, in this case, uh, Sweden's public health approach. And then there's a a kind of expectation that the the government will rely on their uh, advice and formulate policies along the lines of that advice. That's one uh, kind of distinctive characteristic, let's say, of of Swedish society and and, uh, governance. And the other element is that Sweden, along with other Nordic nations, is what's called a high-trust society. This is something that has been measured, for instance, in the World Values Survey. There are different elements to that. So there's a high level of mutual trust between agencies and citizens, and also a a high level of interpersonal trust, so between citizens. And so the public health agency has relied on that trust. The tradition in Sweden when it comes to healthcare and and public health has very much to work with voluntary measures, to have a dialogue with our population, to give good advice and, and tell people what we're trying to achieve not telling them exactly what you should do in every every situation. To understand this, I think a parallel can be drawn, and the public health agency has drawn this parallel as well, to the national vaccine programme, which is also based on voluntarism, in that there's no legal requirement to get vaccinated or, to, or for parents to have their children vaccinated, but there's a near-universal uptake anyway. And so the same ethos kind of underlies... Uh, this strategy and not everyone thinks that's a good thing um, because it's a very new unprecedented um, public health emergency. I'm a scientist I don't trust authorities I trust data and I don't see transparency of data that makes me calm to say that the strategy chosen is the best way forward. how Sweden's experiment is working out after the break. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. 
That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Wow, that guy means business. Just an amazing player. No, not him, the sports photographer behind him. Uh, what? He has a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where he earns 5% annual percentage yield, so he's scoring big on and off the field. You might even say he's the MVB. MVB? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Okay, Natalie, so we have this sort of remarkable absence of a lockdown in Sweden. Even so, things are certainly different. Social life has slowed. Outdoor activity has slowed. But I wonder, without an official lockdown and a legally enforced lockdown and even without public schools being closed, how is it going in Sweden? How does it compare to, I don't know, Sweden's neighbors? And is that a fair comparison? Sweden's neighbors have uh, lower figures, a lot lower. For Sweden and Denmark, the number of COVID-19 deaths was fairly equivalent at first, but then Sweden saw a surge in April. Sweden's death rate is 24 per 100,000 people, compared with the UK's at 39. Though Sweden looks poor, compared with neighbouring Denmark at over 7 and Norway at under 4. But obviously... You know, there's an element of cherry-picking when you look at uh, other countries. If you compare it to Belgium, for instance, here it's in Sweden it's 283 dead per million. In Belgium it's 692. There's also um, the public health agency um, is keen to stress that different countries have different ways of, of counting and recording uh, deaths and that different countries are at different stages of the pandemic, and so on. And testing as well, right? Yeah, so Sweden has tested about 120,000 people so far. And there's been um, promises of greatly extending testing for quite some time that haven't really been realized. Uh, So there's a lot of discussion about that now in Sweden. How are different groups in Sweden doing? I mean, in the United States, we're definitely seeing the elderly are more vulnerable and we're seeing, you know, more quote-unquote, essential workers being affected by this because they're out there every day taking buses, taking public transit, and on the sort of front lines of this. Yeah, um, there's a huge problem in in care homes or nursing homes. Fatalities in in care homes count for a third of Sweden's deaths from the coronavirus. In the Stockholm region, which is the hardest-hit area, that figure rises to 50%. And so both 
The government and the public health agency have been very keen to defend the Swedish strategy, but they've also uh, admitted that this has been a major failure. What we can say is that we have a large amount of the deaths are connected to the elderly homes and that we are now investigating very thoroughly what we can do with the elderly homes to prevent the contagion from entering into those places. As the infection and death rates climb, care workers and, and union representatives have also shared stories in the media and in reports of uh, poor routines, of a lack of protective equipment, bad communication from management teams and, and kind of working conditions in the elderly uh, care system. That means uh, workers have been very vulnerable and have also exposed potentially uh, elderly people to to the virus. There's not been a will to test us systematically, at least in places where I've worked. Even if there are people with symptoms, they're not being tested. What about the economy? Has not locking down spared Sweden from the crises we see all over the planet? I mean, of course, in a globalized world, the Swedish economy is not um, doesn't exist in isolation, of course. A lot of industries and sectors are affected, not least uh, tourism, hospitality, and unemployment is is soaring here as well. I know 183 businesses within the hotel and restaurant industry filed for bankruptcy in the first three weeks of April alone. So obviously a lot of individuals, a lot of companies and a lot of sectors are feeling the impact of of this um, pandemic. I know I saw uh, figures the other week that the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, predicted that the Swedish economy would shrink by 6.8%. So by comparison, the 2009 financial crisis caused a 5.2% fall. And, And also, even if we haven't had a lockdown and the measures taken here are very tame compared to other countries, it still is the case that life has radically changed in terms of how you move about and how you you spend your money and and the caution, obviously, that, that people are taking with their personal finances at a time of uncertainty. So it's not as if uh, Sweden is booming financially at the moment. So what does that mean for this approach that the government took, this approach to avoid a lockdown? I mean, it sounds like it didn't necessarily save the economy and it didn't necessarily stop the spread of this virus. Am I, I don't know, correct me if I'm oversimplifying it, but was it was it a smart approach, you think, or is it too early to say? I think it's too early to label any approach of any country as either right or wrong at this point. Uh, I mean, I think we have to wait for some time to, to make a sort of conclusive judgment on that. But I also think considering that this is a global crisis, it would be impossible for Sweden to not to be impacted. I mean, both in terms of health and uh, and deaths and in terms of the economy. But I think the the argument from the authorities here in defense of, of avoiding a lockdown, it also means that Sweden is not in the situation that other countries find themselves in now in terms of Uh, debating how to open up. You know, the big uh, issue for many other countries right now is the exit strategy. And Sweden in in many ways needs an exit strategy as well because we're not 
living as we did um, just a few months ago. But obviously the transition back to normalcy is not as complicated as in other countries. There's always going to be differences in opinion as to um, whether the strategy is, is right or wrong. But I also think we're still in the midst of it. And perhaps a year from now or, or even further away, the debate will sound completely different. I mean, who knows? But I, I also think that it there's a, a very legitimate concern and worry and, and uh, disappointment, I guess, for... Uh, someone who perhaps has an elderly relation in a care home and sees what's going on there and there's there's a lot of frustration among uh, care workers and a lot of people are being affected, obviously, um, by the pandemic. So people are going to have very different experiences of this whole situation. Natalie Rothschild reports on the Kingdom of Sweden from Stockholm. You can find her work at natalierothschild.com or on Twitter at n underscore Rothschild. I'm Sean Ramos for him. This is Today Explained. <laughs>